Discussing the commodities markets, what's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors, and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Commodity Watch Radio with Dominic Frisby. Hello and welcome to Commodity Watch Radio with me, Dominic Frisby. Um, I'm sitting in a cafe in St. James in one of the better parts of London with Michael Hampton. Uh, Mike is based in Hong Kong. He's a trader, an investor and an author. And uh, he's here in London for a couple of weeks. So welcome to London, Mike. How are you doing? Very good, Dominic. Good to be with you. And um, Mike's written a very interesting article. In fact, before we address the article, I should just say this is the last ever Commodity Watch Radio because uh, as from the next programme, I'm rebranding the show and uh, changing the name because of the fact that we talk about so much more than commodities. I'm going to keep the new name of the show a secret until then, so you can uh, watch this space with bated breath. So that's the kind of uh, the notices out of the way. Now, Mike, you've written an article. I forgive the traffic if it's a bit loud. Um, you've written an article. Um, uh, this is the subject that's obsessing everyone. Is it inflation or is it deflation? And you've written an article uh, that's recently been published on the Financial Sense website arguing that it is, in fact, both. We are experiencing what you, did, what you call a bipolar market of manic swings. And why don't you tell us about that? Yes, well, um, I think it's clear that anybody who's been betting on inflation or deflation has had a frustrating time the last uh, year or two um, because they may have been right for a while, but not for long. And it's been very hard to concoct an investing strategy that, uh, based on one of those concepts that works. So, you know, my article basically acknowledges the reality that we've been seeing swings back and forth. And uh, I think those swings are going to continue. So... I think one is better off expecting uh, these manic swings rather than expecting inflation or deflation. Um, and I'd like to say a little bit uh, about how to think about that, because one, one, one way to look at it is, is to acknowledge that we're not going to have a V recovery, that we haven't seen a low and we're not going to go straight back up into good times. It's much more likely, in my opinion, that we're going to see a W-shaped recovery or maybe even a triple V or quadruple the uh, um, economic uh, scenario. How can you be sure of that? Well, And I read an Elliott Wave count yesterday from Glenn Neely saying it's possible that this is the low, that, well, that last year was the low. Well, of course, one can never be 100% sure of anything, um, but my, my idea is that, um, that there are a lot of weaknesses in, in, the, uh, in the economy and there are a lot of weaknesses in the stock market and that those weaknesses will uh, result in, in another fall in the market and probably a fall to, to new lows. Um, and the, the, the model I'm sort of thinking of is actually 1929 to 1930. Um, and we've heard about this before from people like Bob Point, um, where there was a low in the market, and then there was approximately six months uh, recovery, and then the market slid again. And indeed, this is true in many markets. I don't know whether you've heard the concept of the guillotine and the, the sandpaper, but the idea is that most markets that bubble up um, are then reversed by a very sharp drop. And that sharp drop essentially breaks the back of the market. It's so sharp and so powerful, 
It breaks the back of the market. But after that big drop, there's a rally back, usually about 50% of the way, sometimes 61%, sometimes less than 50%. But in general, there's, there's a big rally back. And then the market works its way lower over a longer period of time. And indeed, we saw something like that in the period 1929 to 1932, uh, where we saw the, the sharp drop. We saw the rally back for six months, and then we saw the market work its way lower. So that's the kind of model that, that, I, that I started with. But I'm also aware that from history, when we've seen a hyperinflation period, and we may be going into one eventually, that hyperinflation period has usually been preceded by deflation. And I think more serious deflation than we've seen already. The deflation we see before the hyperinflation is so severe and so scary that governments take very reckless actions um, that create the basis for hyperinflation. I don't think we've seen that yet. I mean, we do see QE, we do see quantitative easing, um, but I don't think we see uh, a massive enough efforts from governments yet to actually trigger hyperinflation. Um, therefore, um, I think we need to see a, 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 the excesses of the economy be ringed out. We need to see more of the weaknesses exposed, i.e. we need to see a period of deflation, and then that eventually will trigger um, a, a, a reaction of government policy that could trigger hyperinflation. And the swings that we see in the direction of deflation may be more than two. It might be three or four. So um, I think we have to accept that, that you know, we're into a very volatile period now, and we're not going to go in a single direction. We're going to be swinging back and forth for a while. The problem is, is identifying when the swing happens. I mean, I know you've, I have as well. We've both been making bearish calls for a few months, and, and yeah. we've been wrong. True. And I'm going to talk about why this level might be a, a good level to look for an end of the inflationary swing up. That inflationary swing up, if you look at stocks, started in early March, and I think we did a podcast on, on GEI, or at least uh, GEI had its own podcast right on the low, so we identified that low. Um, in some markets, the low came earlier in November um, or December, um, but basically we've had... Uh, from that low, something like a six months upswing. Now, some of the relationships I'm looking at are numeric ones. Uh, I'd like to mention some of the markets that have swung back, swung back to uh, to key sort of levels. Let's start with oil. Uh, oil hit a high in, in July last year, 2008, uh, of around about $150. I think the actual number was 147.60 intraday. So call that 148 or 150. Half of that number is 174, or sorry, 74 or 75. Now, what's interesting is on this increase in oil prices, up from around under $40, the market seems to have topped out right around $74, which is half of that oil price. And it's shown a lot of difficulty in going any higher, and it seems to be wanting now to swing back. And there are a number of fundamental reasons for that, not only the technical reasons, but fundamentally there's a lot of oil uh, around uh, which is, is being uh, in storage. The world's flooded with oil, in fact. And China's been filling its storage and uh, its strategic oil res resources, and they could stop that at any time. So high, high supply and, and less demand from China could easily help trigger a swing back. Uh, down again for oil prices. OPEC did little to cut its production. 
Uh, I think it's basically steady as we go for their production. So there is a glut and there could be a swing back. Now that's one market. I'll give you a couple of other examples. Um, also associated with an inflationary upswing is stock prices. And I think, as we were talking about earlier, that, that stocks may have be now approaching some key levels. Uh, one, I, l- I look at some long-term moving averages. I can put a chart of this against QQQ and SPX and uh, some other indices. And we're right around the line in the sand. I call these things line in the sand we're approaching. In fact, maybe slightly, slightly above it over the last couple of days. Um, and so that's the second one. We look at something like um, Hong Kong stock prices. Uh, they made their low in, in October last year, and they're almost exactly double those lows now. Um, um, there, there are quite a number of other commodity copper prices look like they've swung back to uh, Did copper to retest high. their old, old high, its old high? Copper has come back. Again, we have a guillotine uh, swing back and sandpaper possibility with copper. Well, we've seen the guillotine drop. We've seen a rally back to uh, just about three dollars a pound, and it seems to have trouble like oil does in going any higher. It's, it's four dollars a pound is the all-time high for copper. Isn't yes, it? correct. So we're a dollar under that, but we've swung back, and I don't have the Fibonacci number here at my fingertips. But we've swung back to a resistance level, right around three dollars a pound, mm-hmm. um, and I'm looking at things like LIBOR. LIBOR, and by the way, LIBOR in the inflationary swings up tends to go down. So a low LIBOR would be, we would expect uh, LIBOR to make a low as this inflationary upswing is finishing. So LIBOR has come down to 0.24 basis points. Um, And, you know, the lowest ever for LIBOR is around 10 basis points. So, uh, and that was very, very brief in 2007. So LIBOR is a sort of back to a very normal level, reflecting very little risk in the markets. And just to add another indicator to your argument, the old, uh, our friend, the Baltic Dry Shipping Index, uh, has been in a decline for some three months now, and the iron ore market's fallen. Um, One in of tandem. our posters on GEI, and, and maybe you, you saw, saw that number from his work, uh, Catflap, oh, yeah. um, has put some interesting... Uh, uh, some interesting historical statistics showing that the Baltic tends to give a three-month warning of a turn. So we're right at maybe a few days past a point where you would expect to see a turn based on the Baltic index. Um, by the way, I'm a little wary of Baltic index as an indicator now because there's such a massive oversupply of ships on order now. Yeah. And that's going to tend to drag the, the Baltic index down. But the swings in Baltic should still be a pretty good indicator. Yeah. Uh, forgive me for mentioning this paper, but the, the, uh, the Daily Mail uh, had a wonderful picture of all these ships floating uh, in the sea off the coast of Singapore called the Ghost Fleet. And it's just a bunch of empty ships. And the, the local fishermen say they're haunted. Well, you know... It, it, and there, there are going to be even more of those ships because the number of ships on order um, in, in, uh, around the, in the shipyards of the world, mainly in China, is the tonnage of those ships is almost as much, it was as much, in fact, about a year or so ago, as the number of ships on the water. So there's prospectively a doubling of shipping capacity coming, and that's bound to have some downward pressure. But within that trend... Mm-hmm. We're likely to see swings back and forth, and those swings could be a good indicator of uh, subsequent swings in the uh, inflation, deflation. Now, I think I should probably mention how I measure this. Uh, okay. I have, I, have, I have actually four measures of, 
of uh, whether we're an inflationary or de deflationary swing. And when they're all giving me the same uh, reading, then, then I think I have an accurate reading. Yeah. Uh, you're just using, you're saying inflationary meaning rising prices and deflationary meaning falling prices Correct. for the, mo for the moment. Correct. Yeah. But um, the big picture is that there are really only two asset classes in the world anymore. There's the dollar as an asset class, and there's the non-dollar. And all the non-dollar things like stocks and uh, commodities, and, commodities and, and property, um, they tend to be moving in the same direction now. And my, my, uh, my explanation for that is that the U.S. has printed so many dollars over the last few years that, that people have, and they've flooded into assets. And so those, those waves tend to move all the boats on the sea uh, up and down uh, at the same time. And so my theory is that these assets that we're talking about, which are non-dollars, um, the, the stocks, the properties, and, and the mm -hmm. commodities, will, in the next deflationary swing down, tend to move down together, more or less the same timing, and um, you know maybe not exactly the same speed, but they'll be moving mm -hmm. in the same direction. And my guess is that we'll see a downswing of perhaps at least six months, and, and maybe, maybe 18 months, and my best guess right now is if the swing has started, it will bottom around October of 2010. That's only a guess, and I'm, I'll, I may have to change that. Um, you were so going to tell us about your indicators. Correct. I just want to ask you one question, and, and it's something that concerns me. And you can't really talk about inflation or deflation with me without mentioning gold. And gold, it's right up there on its all-time high, you know, maybe 5 or $10 below it. If it doesn't break through, it's not a pretty technical picture, is it? Well, I don't think it will break through. If we're seeing a deflationary downswing, then gold will go down along with, all the, other, with the other assets. Um, absolutely, and it is an anti-dollar investment. And it's interesting that while oil only retraced maybe 50, you know, oil only made it to 75, having made an all-time high of 150, gold actually did retest its all-time high. So it showed more strength than anything else. But nevertheless... We do, if you're a gold bug, you want to see it break through here. Well, I tend to think of each, each of these commodities and indices as a little bit like pendulums. Um, but the, 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 the two fingers that are holding the, the wire on which the pendulum is, is suspended mm -hmm. are, are, are going up and down. I mean, some of, them, some of the pendulums are going to swing to higher levels, and some won't make it as high as they were last year. Yeah. So that gold has made it to a higher, slightly higher level than it did. Yeah. Around the same level, double top, triple top, as it did before. Whereas oil has only made it halfway to the high of before. And so, effectively, I think we're going to be seeing commodities, as these swings develop, we're going to see commodities, um, as these swings develop, we're going to see commodities move to different levels. The long-term um, uh, story here... Um, and then I'll tell you what the indicators are. Mm -hmm. but the long-term story here is we actually have some imbalances in the world, and these swings are a way of correcting the imbalances that um, were created by too many dollars flooding into the market and too much debt being built up. And the, the governments of the world could probably, if they had good leadership, correct the imbalances through action, but they're not doing it, so the market's being forced to do it, and that's why we're seeing these swings. Mm -hmm. So what are the indicators I use? I have four. I'll mention okay. what they are. They're all ratios, and I'll put, provide graphs of, 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 of all of them. My sort of best one, I think, is, is a ratio of WTI uh, to the U.S. dollar. And uh, that's a kind of 
Uh, WTI is oil, by the way. Yes, WTI crude divided by USD. And that's kind of counterintuitive in a way because uh, you can't really, if you've got something oil already measured in dollars, why, why divide it by dollars? Yeah. Again, but what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to have um, a, a, an indicator uh, which, which tends to be associated with higher inflation, i.e. oil, mm-hmm. uh, divided by an indicator which, which is as a, uh, the, the, the inverse of, of, of dollars is inflationary. Mm-hmm. So I'm basically putting two indicators together into one ratio. So there will be times when WTI is pushing up and, and, and the dollar is pushing down, but this will show the swing of this indicator is more extreme when they're both pu- pushing in the same direction. And what's interesting is that this particular ratio actually charts extremely well. And right now, that ratio is right around 0.96. And it's right back around the high we've seen in the last few months. In fact, it's probably tying the, tying the high right now. So you can think of it as oil right now being about $73 divided by uh, USD, which is about 76 Yeah. So 0.73 divided by 0.76 is about 0.96. And I think that chart is very interesting because it's probably shown as the most accurate indicator of whether we're in an inflationary or deflationary swing. So that's the first one. I'll quickly go over the others. Um, The second one is copper divided by LIBOR. Okay. So the idea there is copper, which uh, the governments are buying, China is buying when it when it wants lots that's of commodities. A, may I just say that's a very highbrow ratio. Most it, people it, look it, at like the silver <laughs> to gold ratio, or maybe the, you know the gold to the housing, but the copper to libors for the real aficionados. <laughs> but the, anyway, carry on. You, I think you would agree that when when China is buying copper, that's inflationary, and when libor is going down, that tends to encourage inflationary uh, activities as well. So again, putting them in the same index shows that double pressure. And when they're both moving in the same direction, we're getting a swing up. When they're both moving in the opposite direction, we're getting a swing down. Absolutely. And, and that's at an extreme level, is it, the copper to libel ratio? It is. It's actually very, very high. And that one, I have to put on a logarithmic scale because it's moved up so dramatically. It's okay. been really incredible. But it is actually in the last few days starting, looking as if it's starting to swing down. In yeah. fact, today we may be breaking a downtrend because I noticed that copper's actually ticked up, sorry, LIBOR's ticked up in the last couple of days, surprisingly enough, and copper's falling uh, mostly over the last week. Quickly tell us what LIBOR is and what it signifies, what it portends. Right. Well, LIBOR is the London Interbank Offering Rate, and this is a measure of what banks are willing to pay for deposits. And uh, what It's the rate at which banks lend each other money. That's correct. Yeah. It's a very simple way of putting it. And, and basically, on top of that, banks will add a spread. When they go out and lend money to their corporate clients, they'll add on a half a percent or one percent or whatever, depending on the credit risk of the client. They'll add something on top of that. And that's an, an indication of what banks are paying for their money and uh, the base of what uh, companies are paying to, to their banks. Um, the third ratio is... And, and, what, so, and, and so if they're lending money at cheap rates, it signifies that credit is loose. And if LIBOR is rising, it signifies that credit is tightening. Is that, is that right? Correct. So right now we have um, banks are getting money very easily. They're paying only 24 basis points. Um, last year, well, we've seen in the last two years, we've seen LIBOR rates of around 5%. 
And, and this 0.25 uh, LIBOR is, is really one of the lowest levels in history. Okay. Um, so banks, banks are getting their money cheap. Um, but they're, not lend- they're still not lending. They are lending, but, but they're lending in a very restricted way. I mean, they're, they're, they're lending uh, against assets they think are, are low credit risk. They're lending against stocks. Um, they're starting to lend increasingly against property. Um, they're tending to charge higher spreads over LIBOR, but, but they are lending. But they're not lending anything like they were lending in 2006 or 2007, and we're not going to go back there, in my opinion. Um, but we have had this nice swing up in lending, uh, which now may be followed by a swing down towards less, uh, more restrictive lending, back towards restrictions in lending. The third ratio quickly is like the first two put together in a way. It's WTI over LIBOR. Okay. And I find it interesting to look at that one as well. It doesn't, at this point, tell me anything different from what the first uh, two do, but it's saying the same thing. Um, and the fourth ratio is, um, is, is the U.S. dollar divided by the euro-dollar contract. And this is an inverted ratio where when this thing is dropping, uh, we're actually seeing inflationary forces. When it's rising, we're seeing deflationary forces. And that one's actually banging down the new lows. So that one's actually giving us, giving us a, a sign that, that the, deflationary, sorry, the inflationary swing is still upon us. So I'm getting a little bit of a mixed message, but I'm really thinking that, that these three or four indicators are just about to turn um, if they haven't turned already. Okay, your three best investments as we go forward from here with markets um, they are. That's, that's a tough one. Um, sell I do sell like, everything, buy guns, <laughs> tins. Well, what I'm doing myself is I'm buying puts on stocks, okay, um, SPX puts. And uh, I've been doing this for a while, so maybe I should tell people how I'm coping with being wrong. Yeah. Because it's an interesting challenge. Puts basically means Mike's betting that the stock market is going to fall. Um, my big picture trade, and I want to preface this explanation by why I'm comfortable even lose, though I'm losing money, yeah. is I, I'm, I've been long junior gold, mining stocks and largely gold stocks for quite some time. And I'm whittling down that position quite, quite dramatically now that gold might be uh, topping. Um, but that, I've been making money on that side of the trade, and I've more or less hedged that, and perhaps overhedged it a bit, by buying puts on the SPX. And so, although I've been wrong about the timing of this deflationary swing, I thought it had started a few weeks ago, I'm not actually overall losing money. Makes, actually, slightly making money uh, mm-hmm. most days, and overall making a bit of money. And that's because my junior mining stocks have been going up faster than, than I've been losing money on the puts. So what am I doing now day to day is I'm whittling down dramatically my position in juniors. So that's turning into cash. I'm adding slightly to my position in puts. But I'm doing something else which I call a reset. And this is something I do. My puts that I've been buying, even though I've been wrong, at least I chose a time frame, December and later, um, where I have, excuse me, I have enough time to be wrong and still make money if I'm eventually right. Mm-hmm. So what I'm doing is I originally bought 1,000 strike puts, and recently I've been selling those puts, taking a loss, and buying new puts at a higher strike, 1,100 strike. So I'm paying something like 50, 50 points to make 100, because the difference in the two strikes is 100. So. 
this means that my break-even point, if the market starts to fall, yeah. the S&P starts to fall, is much closer by. Okay. So by doing this reset from time to time at, at different higher and higher levels. You're just getting better value, basically. I, I get myself into a better value position. So that's what I've been doing, and I've been living pretty comfortably with being wrong about the markets and actually making money every day by, by having this position on. Okay. Mike, as we close, uh, comment from the gold, for the gold bugs. Um, you think gold has hit an intermediate top. Do you still like it as a longer-term investment? Yeah, I think uh, I will be excited to have a chance, if we're seeing a deflationary swing, to be buying gold much lower than today, um, at least $100 lower, possibly a lot more than that. And, and when, when we see that, and there are signs that def- the swing is turning the other way, I'll be aggressively buying, buying gold and gold calls, and I'll be selling my puts, hopefully at a nice profit, on the mm-hmm. S&P. All right. Well, Mike, uh, you've been uh, by far and away my favorite guest to have on this show, and thanks so much for all your contributions. And uh, I look forward to welcoming you to our next program, which will be called Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. There you go. Great. Well, I, I think I'll hopefully have a chance to be both a bull and a bear as time goes on. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, Mike, why don't you give out your website address for anyone who wants to contribute? Yes, people, please come and uh, have a look at the charts I put up on globaledgeinvestors.com. Good stuff. Mike Hampton, thanks very much. Commodity Watch Radio is presented and produced by Dominic Frisby for Mindsight with music by Manolo Camp. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our bulletin board at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com.